special guest today, Ryan Switzer from the Cleveland Browns, also a West Virginia native and a UNC All-American. Uh, great honor to have him on the show with us today. Uh, Ryan and I go back about three or four years, a mutual friend of ours, uh, James Washington, I think introduced us and uh, Ryan purchased a couple of vehicles from us, actually has sent family members to purchase a couple of vehicles from Kuthman Ford. And uh, it's just great to have you, Ryan. I know that you've had a, uh, a crazy year and we'll get into that a little bit, uh, but uh, just kind of want to welcome you here and thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, obviously too. Thanks for having me, brother. Anything. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, especially to have a West Virginia guy. And uh, Justin, if you want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of where, you know, how Ryan started out on this road. Yeah, what uh, what what attracted you to the sports life? I mean, what what drew you into pursuing football as a career? I don't know, man. My parents kind of just threw me in everything when I was younger. Uh, I started off with soccer. Soccer and swimming were my two first kind of attractions. Um, was really good at soccer and. And um, my dad, you know, kind of held off on the football. And I say held off, you know, the majority of my buddies were playing in second and third grade. My dad held me out of it until I was in fifth grade. Um, and by that time, you know, I was so immersed in the soccer and basketball and swimming world. Uh, but I was so ready at the same time to get into football because I just had a passion for it, watching it. Um, and, uh, it was just kind of like a natural, like connection. I mean, I loved it and it loved me back, you know, like it was just, it just happened to be the sport that I, I was the best at right away. You know, I've been playing soccer for probably five or six years before I started playing football and I was immediately better at football than I was at soccer. So, um, had I not been, I don't know if I'd have still been playing, but that's just kind of how it worked out. So, Ryan, doesn't your dad have a football background? Like, didn't he play at a college level? Yeah, he played at uh, Concord for a little bit, I think, before he got injured. Um, I mean, you know, all you know, all dads have got this like st story of them back in the day playing, <laughs> like, playing through like broken legs and and torn ACLs and that's my dad's no different so he he played yeah he definitely played and I, I mean I had to get my athleticism from somewhere and he claims it was 100% from him. I think part of it though when you brought up a point because I've uh, been fortunate enough to be around several professional athletes and I think your dad had the foresight because a lot of these guys don't want their kids playing football so young they want them to choose it or get involved in a little bit more physical maturity. Uh, I've seen that from a lot of guys. Yeah. I don't think football is one of those sports where you have to play life in order to, to make it to the professional level. I mean, there's some things like I think swimming is one of those things that you have to develop as a child, as a kid. I think golf is certainly one of those things where you have to play for an extended period of time. But, you know, even even basketball, you hear about these, you know, now they're out, they're outliers for sure. But you hear about these kids and these stories of where they played, you know, a year or two of basketball. Next thing you know, they're high division one. Next thing you know, they're going to the NBA. I think football is a little similar to that, man, you know, especially because you also see position changes so late Um and in the game as well. Like you see, and granted, it's not a different, you're not 
trying a different sport, but essentially when, when guys shift these positions, you are, you know, kind of, it's still football, but it's a whole new game for you. And you, and guys are still changing positions at the NFL level. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that football is something that you have to throw your children in at a young age in order for them to be successful down the road. Yeah. Well, I think Jared's got a question for you. And speaking of Jared, you were talking about swimming. He once got third pay, place in the backstroke. Now, granted, there were only three people in the competition, but he did get third place and he brought a ribbon home that day. So, love it. <laughs> the same. So, uh, uh, coming out of high school, I was also looking at UNC. What made you decide to go to Temple Hill? Man, I don't know. Like, when I look back on it, choosing my college decision and everything that happened along the way, you know, it was just divine intervention, man. Like, you know, there were so many schools recruiting me coming out of college. And, you know, when I put myself back into my frame of mind when I was in high school, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't really know what I was looking for as a 16, 17 year old. I didn't realize the implications that picking a school actually had, um, you know, and that being said, Carolina was just um, there was like a there was a, a sense of comfort with that school, with that program, with the coaches that were there. Um, you know, there was a sense of security, whatever that means, you know, take it how you want. There was a sense of security when I got on the campus. There was a sense of trustworthiness from um, the coaching staff that I was interacting with who was there at the time. So I think all of those things just kind of made me feel, you know, I hear a lot of these recruits nowadays talk about like, oh, they're treating me like family or this and that. I don't think any of that, you know, played a part in my decision to go to Carolina. I think for me, it was just a sense of like, okay, like these seem like genuine good people. You know, I also knew a couple of the kids that were in the recruiting class with me as well, who I thought, you know, seemed like cool kids. So now did I think when I recruited there that everything that happened to me was going to happen? No, but, you know, like I said, divine intervention just kind of worked out for me. Yeah, I think it's – I know I went away to college. I went to a school in Miami, and I'm sure for you too, uh, you know, Charleston's a bigger area than Grafton where we're from, that type of thing. But it's still – it's a culture shock being away from home. And, uh, you know, you granted when you're on a team like that, you automatically have a brotherhood or a group. But, man, it's tough. You know, there's, there's some homesick times, and uh, uh, it, nope. it's a big adjustment. No question. And I, I feel for the kids who don't have that sense of community within a team or within a program, like who just go off to school, you know, who just make that leap of faith and go out of state, you know, to a whole new environment where they're not um, not forced to make new friends, but they're they're provided the opportunity with 100 new friends because of the sport that they play or basketball, 20 new friends or whatever the case may be. So, you know, those kids that are going to school for academic purposes or whatnot, you know, are taking a leap of faith and are having to essentially do the, the homework um, of finding, finding new friends on their own. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, the next thing I want to talk to you about, and I know this is a tough one for you and uh, the last year of your life, uh, you know, you had a career transition going from the Steelers to the Browns. And, you know, that seemed like a big shakeup at the time. But then in the subsequent months uh, with the illness of your son and 
that just rocked your world. And I know from a personal standpoint, you and I talked a few times and I know in the early stages of it, you didn't know what the heck was going on with him. There was one day you texted me and you were at the hospital. I think you had COVID, so you couldn't even go in the hospital. And just tell us a little bit about that experience and maybe how that changed uh, you and Gabby's perspective on life and career and that type of thing. Because my Lord, when you have an experience, and I know, I know you're a faithful person, you know, your faith is big to you. And I'm sure that that, you know, had a heavy part in getting through this whole process. But if you could just tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's a big piece of what makes Ron Switzer, Ron Switzer today. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I didn't really, I don't think life started happening for me until Christian got sick, to be honest. That's what it feels like, at least. Like, everything before that was just kind of a wash. Like, I mean, you got kids, you know, like, when, when you have a child or when you become a parent, like, your 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 every priority on your life shifts like everything changes like it's no longer about you like so we felt that with Christian even before he was sick I mean you know Christian was born in May and he's born in May of 2020 and in August of 2020 just three months later is when I got released from Pittsburgh so I'm sitting there three months removed from having a child like already feeling terrible because I lost my job which was unexpected at the time and you know I'm I'm sitting there at home while the season's going on for the first time and since I was in fifth grade you know not playing ball and feeling like crap already so the and then you know fortunately three months three weeks into the season is when you know the Browns signed me and, and all of that happened so the first you know, six months of Christian's life, you know, were Gabby and I traveling, Gabby and I living away, her being a single new mother, like me living in a hotel in Cleveland while she's back at our home in Pittsburgh. So that was rough enough as it is. And then you go to March of 2020 when all of us test positive for COVID, including Christian. So we were already on high alert. Um, not and then obviously all of his health conditions started happening he's in the hospital with serious bleeding you know and us not really knowing whether it's covid related or not you know a couple of days in we found out it wasn't but um i mean his everything he went through you know as a 10 month old child and everything that gabby and i went through as a as new parents with a newborn i mean I don't know. I, I mean, it's cliche, but I really wouldn't wish that on, on my worst enemy. I mean, it's done so much trauma just to us as parents that, um, it's something that we're, we're, we're still working through. We'll probably continuously work through the rest of our life. Um, but yeah, like I said, everything previous to that, that's kind of like when life started to me, man, that's kind of like when I realized how, how just precious life was, you know, sitting here watching my, newborn 10 month old son fight for his life you know pulling strings trying to talk to different medical experts trying to figure out what was going on just um you know really kicked into uh desperation parent mode so uh we obviously learned a lot from it i would rather learn (laughs) learn things about being a parent than you know while not going through something like that um but you know, by the grace of God, we came out on the other end of that and Christian's okay. And, um, 
you know, I think that Gabby and I are better for it. I think that we're better parents for it. I think that we're smarter parents for it. Um, not that we still, you know, know exactly what we're doing, um, but, but we're certainly. And time is up to time, man. I mean, just seeing the milestones that Christian has hit since he's been sick and since his surgeries, I mean, just seeing him walk, um, seeing him be able to say, dad, dad, mama, I mean, all of the things, you know, that, that brings parents joy, um, has been just tremendous to see. And it would have been tremendous regardless of his situation, but mm. the fact that we almost lost him and the fact that we're getting this time with him, um, I really think makes, makes it that much better. Honestly, I think it just makes everything so much sweeter knowing that he fought through what he fought through and knowing that we were given a second chance by God to have our baby boy back in our lives. I think I saw a quote by you the other day and, and correct me if I misquoted or that type of thing. I think it's something maybe you even you retweeted about a quote that you made at the time. That's like, you may, you might've been praying and saying, Hey, you know, if I could trade places and if I'm going to, you know, take me, but, you know, let him be okay. And I think if, if I'm, if I'm taking the paraphrasing that properly, and that is the only feeling that, you know, a parent can have, you know, it's like I said, I would trade spots with either one of my kids if they were sick or that type of thing, because it's, and you can't describe it. It's like you said, before being a parent, you can't describe that. hundred percent. And I think any, any parent in the world would, would do that for their child. And it's, I was telling my wife the other day, we were speaking about it. It's not a, it's, it wasn't a humbling feeling, but it was a surreal feeling actually praying to the almighty, actually praying to God to end my life. You know what I mean? Like to say, like, I don't know exactly what would happen. Like, I don't know how it, it would go down, but if there is a way that I can offer myself for my child, like I will do that. And, and, it, and like I said, I, I believe that any parent in that situation, any sick, any parent who has a sick child currently in this world would 100% do the same thing. And, it, and it's a very humbling, very surreal feeling to, you know, want to, to take that from your children because as parents, you know, that we feel that as our responsibility. We feel that ultimately we're our children's protectors. You know, we're supposed to be there for them. Like when they get sick, they turn to us. Like when they don't, you know what I mean? Like, so I was ready. I was ready. I was a hundred percent ready and willing. And, you know, I, I, I'm definitely not the only parent in the world that feels like that for their child. Absolutely. That's powerful stuff, brother. And I think uh, Justin's got something for you here that, yeah, uh, I mean, one of one of the questions that we kind of relate to with someone that has achieved success on a level such as yourself is why uh, and what, you know, why, why pursue and, and, and chase after your, what you've accomplished, you know, what motivates you and also what separates you from other people that you've obtained the level of success that you have. Um, so what what's your motivator and and. How did you separate yourself? And I think I was, I was very blessed at a young age. I think God gave me a direct vision to what I wanted to do in life. Like every, I mean, you know, everybody can say ever since they were a child, they want to do that, to do this, to do that. God gave me a, a, a one track focus to play professional football. I mean, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I, and I knew how to accomplish it as crazy as that sounds. I, I knew that I was going to work as hard as I could for as long as I could until I reached that goal. Um, 
with that being said, I had a lot of breaks over the way. You know, I, I, I remained injury free throughout middle school, throughout high school, throughout college. Like I avoided the injury bug, never missed any games. Um, you know, was put in the perfect position in middle school and high school and college to succeed. Like I had a lot of people in my corner who from coaches to trainers who, who, who helped me along the way. Uh, my motivation was always, it was always in, internal. Like I never had any external motivation. My motivation never came from proving people wrong or doing something that people said I couldn't or, or this or that. My motivation has always been an, an internal drive. It's always been, um, you know, trying to maximize uh, everything that God has given me um, to like, not satisfy, but to fulfill. Like there, there's always been something that I've wanted to fulfill in myself. Um, by the way, I haven't fulfilled it yet. Like there's, it, there's, there's still the it that's been out there, even, even with, you know, going five years in the NFL. So uh, my, like I said, my, my motivation throughout, throughout all of this time playing has always been internal. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of things go my way. Um, I, like I said, injury free, um, had a phenomenal coaching staff, every level that I played at. Um, I had some, I had some lucky breaks. I avoided some adversity, which everybody needs, you know, in order to be, to be successful. So um, that's kind of where, you know, everything began for me as a kid. And it's really remained the same. Every level that I've gone at, it's, it's, the motivation factor has always remained the same. It's always been internal. And even now as a, as a, as a parent and as a husband, you know, I, my, my identity is, is not based on my identity for my child and my identity for my wife is not based on what I do or do not do on a football field. Um, so if my motivation, um, I feel like is in them. Like if my motivation is to do well or to, to do this or that on a field so I can make them happy or make them satisfied. But I think I'm going about it the wrong way. Um, and, and that's a slippery slope. So my motivation is still with a child and, and with, you know, being, being married is still internal. Like it's still something that drives me. Like it has nothing to do with anybody else. Like my motivation is purely you know, internal. I think, you know, you bring up a good point. I think I've been fortunate enough to be around guys like you and James and Devin Bush and some of these guys that, and, you know, the, the public is so fickle and, you know, they love you one minute and they hate you the next. And you've been through that. You've seen the good and the bad and that type of thing, being the hero. And, the, you know, just, it's part of the game. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's part of putting yourself out there on that stage on that, you know, and it just happens. And the kids have said, you know, hey, being friends with some of these guys has kind of ruined you rooting for the teams because I root for the guys, you know what I'm saying? Because you, you start to know them and you see the pain that they go through or, you know, the struggles that they go through and yeah. it makes them people and people, they don't see that. They just see a guy on TV doing that. And he's like a robot. He's supposed to catch that ball or he's supposed to do that. And, you know, you're human. like. Yeah. Because like we all are. Yeah, I mean, everybody in that locker room, everybody that these 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 fans and these 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 people idolize, they're just folks. Like they're just folks. Like I've played with some of the biggest superstars in the game. Like I played with Des Bryant. I played with Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, Odell Beckham. Like they're just folks, man. They're just people. Like and you know, 
and people put them on pedestals. People put professional athletes on pedestals. People put people, you know, of success and fame and fortune on pedestals. And unfortunately, that's just, you know, not reality. Um, so, you know, I always say if, if, if you wouldn't accept advice from somebody, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't accept criticism from them. Like, don't accept, don't accept, you know, criticism from someone you wouldn't ask for advice. Right. So all of that stuff, man, um, it's, it's certainly challenging to deal with. Like it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure, but you've seen it like, because you're, you are, uh, not just familiar with, with, with us. And I say us professional athletes, you are, you know, our lives, like you, you, you're, you're friends of us. Like you, so you understand, like, we are just people. And we have feelings just like everybody else. And we go through the same everyday regular problems as everybody else. Our lives are just in a glass bowl so everybody can see it. Absolutely. Hey, Jared, I think you had uh, one thing in kind of closing, and then we'll let Ryan get on his way. He's probably still rehabbing and that type of thing, but uh, then we'll kind of let him close out. Go ahead, Jared. Yeah, so one of my questions was, we're, you know, we're all from West Virginia. It's a really special place. So what is being from West Virginia, uh, what does it mean to you, and especially Charleston? Man, I wouldn't be who I am without West Virginia. I truly believe that, man. I really I, – I, I can't imagine growing up anywhere else that I grew up. Obviously, I don't live there anymore, and I love the states and the places that I've been, but that doesn't mean that I have any less love for the state of West Virginia. It doesn't mean that I would have rather grown up here or grown up there. Um, because I don't believe I would have gotten the experiences that I got, that I had got when I, you know, was a kid in West Virginia. Um, you guys know this, there's just this sense of community. Like there's a sense of community that's unlike anything in the United States. Like there's just, I mean, it's just, and, and those who aren't from the state don't understand it. You know, they don't understand the 304 community. They don't understand, um, you know, people taking care of people, they, they just, you know, they don't. So, um, you know, I have so much love for the state of West Virginia. You know, I, I, I believe that some of the, the hardest working people in the United States are from the state of West Virginia and, and they just keep fighting, man. And I think, I think the, the backbone of this state is the hardworking people. You know, I think it's the, the people that, uh, the, the self-employed, the people who who get up every day and, and have to go and earn what's what's there. You know what I mean? I mean, you guys, I feel like you guys understand what I'm trying to say. So uh, I had a phenomenal experience growing up. Um, you know, my folks are obviously still back there. My, I got some aunts and uncles back there. My sisters are back there. We actually, my wife and I just um, drove back last weekend from visiting. I was able to go to my high school's game and the fir- for the first time, and I don't know how long since I got out of high school. So there's just this sense of community, man. And everybody pulls for one another. And, um, you know, obviously I, I'm still a ginormous, JR Tooth knows I'm still a ginormous West Virginia fan. I mean, Tooth's helped me, helped me get tickets to a bunch of games. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot then real quick. And this is, this is going to be a tough one for you. Hugs and West Virginia go to the final four and play North Carolina. Oh. Hey, listen, Here, here's how I'm going to answer that. North Carolina, I love, now I believe Carolina blue and white. <laughs> Everything I have right now is currently because of the University of North Carolina. My wife, my child, my professional career. However, 
I feel like North Carolina has had their North Carolina's had their championships, man. North Carolina's yeah. had championships. Like share. Like let if it <laughs> like let West Virginia get one. You know what I mean? Like it's not that I'd be rooting against Carolina, but it's like, come on, man. Like let the Mountaineers get one. So um That was a tough one. That's hard, but man, I tell you what, man, I've just got so much love for for Coach Hugs and and you know the AD, the guys that are there right now. Obviously, Bubba down in North Carolina done tremendous things for me, and and I know Carolina's gonna miss Roy, but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how um, Hugs and them respond this year, and hopefully, man, hope I, I I'd, I'd love to see him in the ACC, man. I'd love to see Carolina and, and West Virginia you know, match up twice a year, you know, every year. Absolutely. From a geography standpoint, it, it seems to be logical. And we I think everybody's been kind of hoping for that. It's a no, I mean, it's a no brainer. I don't, with all the realignment going on, I don't understand why the ACC wouldn't pick them up. Um, now, obviously I don't know anything about like the criteria, but it just seems like from, from TV ratings to how well West Virginia fans travel. I mean, Heck, these West Virginia fans are traveling to Texas, to Oklahoma, to Ames, Iowa. Like, you don't think they're going to travel to Blacksburg or to uh, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, so we'll see what happens. But I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, hey, brother, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And like I said, I know you're rehabbing an injury and going through and, you know, being a, a dad and being a husband and uh, – uh, of course, uh, we at Toothman Ford and Team Toothman always love Ryan Switzer, and uh, we appreciate you being on here on Toothman Talk with us today, and uh, loved your insights. Hey, I appreciate you, Tooth, as always. Hey, I'm in, I'm in the Ford right now, baby. There we hey. go. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate Thanks, you bro. guys. Th- Thanks again for having me, man. Seriously, appreciate you. Thanks, Thank buddy. You. All right, guys. Take. Care.